So we moved from an overflowing trash can to less than half a bag of trash per week. It took a lot of work and what I realized is most people don't have the time or energy to put in this kind of work. A company had to be formed out of all this learning. Welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Saperstein. This week, we're continuing the newest component to our podcast, Founder Feature. These segments will be short bi-weekly episodes highlighting founders who participated in the Techstars Founder Catalyst program that we've sponsored since 2021. During the program, these women focused on refining their business models, honing their pitches, and building a network to help take their businesses to the next level. We're excited to share these inspiring stories and the important challenges they're tackling through their businesses. In this episode, I'm speaking with Kate Furlan, founder of Oz Front Door. We'll hear about her mission to see a world without plastic packaging and how she advises others to slowly reduce their plastic waste to become more comfortable with it. Kate shares some stark facts about recycling and we're so inspired by her vision for a more sustainable world. Kate, welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. It's really nice to have you on with us. Thanks so much. It's such a pleasure to be here today. So we want to hear about your business, Oz Front Door. Please tell us about that. What is it that the company offers? A few years ago, I heard that by 2050, there will be more plastic than fish in the ocean. And I also heard at the same time that each of us ingests about a credit card's worth of microplastic every week. So this business is designed to really tackle the plastic problem. It's a hyper-local marketplace for plastic-free home essentials. Swaps for everyday products like laundry detergent. Instead of a big plastic bottle, we swap that for a laundry detergent sheet. While there's many marketplaces for sustainable goods out there, what makes Oz unique is that we're hyper-local. We grow city by city, and 60% of our product selection is from local small business. And in addition, we deliver your order to your door without a box. We're borrowing from Europe's playbook. I lived in the Netherlands for two years, and all local deliveries are made in a reusable crate. And this saves about 70% of greenhouse gas emissions by switching from cardboard. So that's Oz. That's amazing on all fronts. I love the sustainability part, but I really love the local part too. The fact that you're really relying on local vendors, local stores and businesses, which is just near and dear to my heart. So tell us how you started, where you started, and how do you want to take that model and actually expand that to other cities? This whole idea started right in the middle of the pandemic where so many of us just had extra time to reflect. And at the same time, I was receiving delivery after delivery of takeout of cardboard boxes full of plastic air cushions. It all really bothered me. I took matters into my own hands and I put, I'm not underestimating this here, but I think a few years of work trying to reduce the waste in my own home. So we moved from an overflowing trash can to less than half a bag of trash per week. It took a lot of work. And what I realized is most people don't have the time or energy to put in this kind of work. A company had to be formed out of all this learning. Because I'm in last mile delivery, we are making deliveries. One thing we need to be really aware of is that it costs a lot of money to pick and pack an order and deliver it to someone's doorstep. We're not the luxury of being Amazon right now where we deliver to every doorstep. So right now we're focusing on apartments and condos and really marketing in each building. That's going to make it much easier. If we get 20 orders, it'll be to just one address versus 20 addresses across the city. We will continue with this approach so we can get volume and density in our business model. 
and we will expand city by city when we can prove that this is really profitable, which right now it's looking like it will be. That is fantastic. And so you're in Denver. This is the first city. We're piloting our MVP right here in Denver. So tell us more about, you have this great idea, which clearly born in the pandemic, so many of us could understand that. What was your background before this point in your career? What had you been doing and how did the environment or sustainability play a role in influencing you in this space? I have spent most of my career tackling really large, complex problems. For example, I lived in China for six years, learned Chinese, and was tackling the HIV-AIDS epidemic there together with the government and with civil society. So the idea of tackling plastic waste or something really difficult is not unusual for me. I've been looking at global problems and trying to find a way for me just as a human being to be part of the solution. That's kind of my background is big global problems. So what got me involved in sustainability was after I worked for several organizations, I became a consultant to the C-suite executives of these organizations. And I've spent the last 10 years really focusing in on climate nonprofits. So American Rivers, I've worked with them, Global Green Grants, organizations that are tackling climate change kind of head on. And in my work with my clients, I really became passionate about climate myself. And then the pandemic just kind of brought for so many of us who we are and what we want to do on earth to the forefront. So let's talk about that customer experience with Oz. Tell us about when you're going onto the website and you're looking for the products that you might already use, or maybe you're open to new ones. What do you hope that client experience looks like from the purchasing online all the way through to delivery? So what I want the client experience to be is Amazon is the everything store. What I want Oz to be for people is just highly curated, easy, convenient. You don't have to spend a lot of time making decisions because we've already done the work around what products are the easiest swaps to make. Pretty much almost any home essential we have a swap for. And you can read on each product page what makes it great and why we chose it. And then it's delivery. We offer local delivery, and that should be pretty seamless for the customer. We hope that by making it highly curated, really convenient, and also a little bit fun. I talk about toothpaste tablets sometimes. I dare you to give it a shot. It is more fun than you think. A little bit different at first, but you'll eliminate all those plastic tubes from your household, and you might have fun doing it. And then when you deliver these goods to people's homes, do the plastic or whatever containers they come in, if they're not plastic, do they differ? Would people see different things in terms of what it is that you're sending them that might be reusable? Yes. Some of our products are reusable. They operate just like the milkman where you would give the container back. Not all of them are. Some people are up for a reusable program, but not everyone. Some of the products are packaged in something like highly recyclable or compostable paper. The one thing I'm really aware of in Denver is what the recycling and composting rules are in this city. So fundamentally, as a principle for Oz, we won't offer anything unless it can be, if it says compostable, that means you have to be able to compost it here in Denver. And presumably when you expand other cities and they might have different compostable or recycling programs, you would modify for that. Modify for that, exactly. I'm curious, so let's go back to how you managed to get your own family's waste down to so little. How did you do that? How deliberate did you have to be in going through really everything that you buy to make very different decisions? I call it slow zero. 
I think zero waste can be really an overwhelming concept for a lot of people. So what I advise everyone to do is to do it slowly. For example, you know, those plastic dish brushes or a plastic sponge, you might have gone to Costco and bought 20 of those. And that's okay. Maybe go out and try one that's made out of wood pulp and just kind of slowly integrate it into your life while you're still maybe using some other things that have plastic. And what you'll find if you do this maybe once a month, after two years, you won't have that much plastic left. Especially for the key products that we buy a lot of, like laundry detergent, dish soaps, hand soaps. Those are the easier ones that you can kind of slow zero out of your life. Well, so if we're in cities that don't have Oz, how would we do that? Do we get the giant refills to refill the smaller bottles or just look for glass? Or what would you suggest buying? The hard thing about refills is that they also come in plastic. So they don't really always feel that great to consumers. I think it is a reduction of plastic, but it's not an elimination. There are some really innovative brands out there that are at the forefront for products like that, one of which is Blue Land. You can buy hand soap, laundry detergent, dish soap right off of their website with almost zero waste. The world of packaging innovation is moving incredibly fast. So part of my responsibility is to capture all of it and put it on the marketplace. I love even hearing that, that so many other brands and companies are thinking about this. What would be some of the areas where we see the most waste in terms of really excessive packaging or things that we really don't need? Things that are made from multiple pieces of plastic. Sometimes you might get a milk jug and it might have three different materials in it. That's almost impossible to recycle. And if you're a family that goes through a lot of milk, you're most likely that product is going to wind up in a landfill. And no one really knows that. You know, I saw on your site on Oz that only 6% of recycling happens or of, of materials that can be recycled are. That is shockingly low. Yes, it's shockingly low how much is actually recycled. Every city across the United States right now is investing a lot into recycling, and they should, to increase those rates. We're certainly not going to be able to recycle our way out of the plastic problem because consumption is just moving at such a fast pace. We're not going to be able to keep up. What else did you learn in your studies of this that are shocking? What are the data and the facts suggest that people should know about when it comes to using certain materials or trying to recycle them? One thing that I would love for everyone to know is that right now, if plastic were a country, it would be the fifth largest greenhouse gas emitting country on earth. Oil and gas is used to make plastic and it is a significant contributor to climate change. And on top of that, our consumption levels are predicted to triple by 2040. So plastic is a massive and increasing problem for humanity. I have this debate with my family all the time because I think they're very used to the grab-and-go containers and single-use plastic bottles. And so when I decided to try to pull an experiment of not replenishing those and having them just use a good old tap, and in New York we have great tap water, it was really interesting to see their reaction. They really started to complain. We have no water. I can't drink any water. But it's so interesting to see this. And, you know, they haven't been around that long, but they're so used to this. I know it's a challenge and I do try to recycle. I'm like a maniac when it comes to the recycling too in my home. Although hearing these facts about how little gets recycled is so really discouraging. 
sometimes it's hard for me to talk about what I know are the facts because I don't want people to go down that rabbit hole of feeling so dejected and disheartened. Recycling is improving across the nation. There are massive amounts of funding that's going into this problem. So I still believe that the future is going to be brighter. It has to be. So Kate, as you're now an entrepreneur and going through the fundraising and just everything else entrepreneurs do, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've had to face and then the ways you tried to overcome them? One of the biggest challenges that I've faced is a scarcity mindset. When you're really small and you're really just getting going and it's just you, it's so easy to fall into that trap where something doesn't go exactly the way that you want and you think, oh my gosh, I failed. Am I built for this? Can I do this? So I've had to train myself. I'm going to be 50 next year. I know how to get myself out of that mindset, but it's intentional. I have to move into that place of abundance where every challenge becomes an opportunity. Every roadblock is just one more thing that I can prove to myself that I can overcome. And then another problem with small business and particularly for women-owned small business, and this is something that is still just astounding to me is that right now the data from last year indicates that women only receive 2% of venture capital. And this stat is very real for me and I'm worried about it. But what I do want to say to all of venture capital out there is that women are on the move and you better run and catch up because we're coming. And have great businesses that are making money. Can you think of a time, a decision in the business that you had to make? Maybe you didn't have the resources to do something you wanted to do, or maybe to your point, you tried to do something that didn't work. How did you pivot from that? Whether that was product idea, distribution, something How did you turn from, okay, plan A didn't work, I'm going to go pursue plan B? I launched this business only with refillables and reusables, and I only had 20 products. So what was happening was people would order one bottle of laundry detergent for $10, and I would have to make a trip across the city for that $10 bottle of laundry detergent. And that is just a really great way to go out of business really fast. So I knew I had to increase the size of the order. Another thing I realized is I also had to pick up that bottle, put it through a commercial dishwasher, and then refill it. So there's a lot of human energy. Reuse and refill is probably the very best thing we can do for the planet, but it's very hard to pull off as a business. Diversify my product offering and go beyond reusables and refillables, especially in this landscape where there's so much innovation. That was easy. And then really add more products so people would have more to choose from beyond 20. So I'm not losing money on every trip. So it sounded like you increased the number of products that you were selling, tried to get people to perhaps buy even more of things just so they didn't have to do it every month, perhaps pre buy. Yes. Another change that we made is you can buy some products on subscription. So we're able to diversify our product range to have more products beyond the reuse refill. And we're also adding more products in general. So people have that choice. They have more to choose from. In listening to what you have to do in terms of cleaning, going back to pick up recyclable containers, does it cost more to buy products this way? And what's your message to consumers if it does cost more, but it is still worth it and you're doing something better? The one thing I can share about reused refill models, and there's different ways to do this, is that they beat any other intervention on every single climate indicator from, of course, plastic to water use to energy use. And you have to be able to reuse a container a certain number of times before it becomes better than single use. 
because reuse also has a footprint involved. So with our bottles, for example, that number is four. We need to reuse each container four times until it's better than single-use plastic. After four, it's exponentially better every single reuse. Yes, it does cost more overall. We're trying to keep costs down, buying as large of quantities as we can. For example, I buy laundry detergent in 30-gallon drums, and those drums are also reusable. But we should be thinking about that, that notion of you might have a reusable container, but there's a certain number of times you really should get to to reuse them to get that full benefit. Exactly. And that's for every reusable, water bottles, tote bags, all of it. If you're in a city and you want to make sure you have a dense client base in buildings or places where you can make few trips, if I'm someone who's trying to help the cause, would it be helpful to sort of gather lots of people, friends and neighbors, and just all the same place, try to make big orders? I mean, is that something actionable people can do? Absolutely. If people really want to get their community involved, I think that would be really powerful just on so many levels. I think it was a venture capital firm called park ranger that said the future of business will be elephants and not unicorns. And for some reason, that metaphor really resonated with me because elephants operate in groups. They only work when they are a community. And I think when it comes to sustainability, if we can tap into that, the sky is the limit. Well, let's talk about sky's the limit. How do you define ambition for yourself? And do you think you are ambitious? And if so, how are you measuring your success? How I define ambition personally is my ability to tackle really big, complex challenges. I mentioned earlier that I worked in China for six years tackling the HIV AIDS epidemic. I enjoy this kind of work. The plastic crisis, there are many stakeholders involved. There's many different solutions. So staying on top of that and really making an impact is ultimately what I want to do. This isn't a business where I just want to earn lots of money. This is a business where I want to make a dent in the plastic crisis. So that's ambition for me is can I do that? And then how do I measure success? One thing I really want to do with Oz is build in into each product that we sell, understanding how much plastic it eliminates compared to its alternative. So that's a project that is on hold right now until I have more funding. But wouldn't it be great for me as a business and the consumer to be able to log in and see just how much plastic you've eliminated? And there are ways that we can do that. So if I buy something, for example, I would learn more about that particular product or just the nature of what gets reused and recycled. How much reduction in plastic, greenhouse gas. Right now, it's happening in the fashion industry where you can measure that. And with consumer packaged goods, there are these things called life cycle analysis, which is data that can also show us that. Well, so we got a chance to know you and your business through our Techstars partnership for founders. And so I'm curious, how is your experience with Techstars? Tell us about what you thought the big benefits were. Well, number one, it changed my entire go-to-market strategy. (laughs) What I mentioned earlier about focusing on condominiums and apartments and not losing money on every order, but actually making a profit, that all came from my mentors at Techstars. The experience was incredibly invaluable to me. And one of the most invaluable pieces of it was what I personally call the magic portal of awesomeness. So what this was, was a link that you press. And when you press that link, you get a portal to about 200 extraordinary human beings that you can book time with. 
Now, these are not people that I would normally be able to book time with. If I wanted to book time with them, it might be contacting 200 people that I know, writing 10,000 emails, all for just 30 minutes with someone at the caliber that was offered to us at Techstars. And these were staff at JP Morgan. These were entrepreneurs who already started and sold or exited or IPO'd successful businesses, experts in go-to-market strategy, subject matter experts in marketing. This portal connected me to more knowledge, network, and resources than I could have ever imagined. I love that. That is a portal of awesomeness. But the fact that you had people who were identified, it sounds like, off the bat, but also responsive, responded to you and were helpful to you when you needed it. It made me think really deeply about humanity, that portal, because I thought, what is in it for these guys? Why are they doing this? And what I discovered was a true willingness to help. I mean, I've been around the block enough times to know when people are faking it. And these are people, many of them have been in my shoes. They understand. They get that it takes a village to get a business launched and they want to pay it forward. So it was really just powerful. I love that. And I think of colleagues who constantly come to us and say, how can we help? How can we help founders? They're so invested in your success because they've either done this many times, they want to help you not make the same mistakes others have made, or to be honest, they just like a good problem. You like these big, intractable problems, and they do too. And same with me. When I see someone who's really trying to take something on in creative ways, in new ways, in ways that no one really thought was possible... I'm so inspired by that. Hats off to you and trying to take on really one of the biggest problems of our time and doing that in a way that itself hopefully will be sustainable location by location. Yes, absolutely. I'm just as inspired as you are, Sam. So thank you. So tell us what's next for Oz, maybe over the next two to three years. What do you hope to achieve? Over the next year, my main goal is that Denver loves Oz, that consumers really get everything that I'm talking about today. They feel really good about reducing their waste and they keep coming back so they can be able to do it better and more. And my goal over the next couple of years is that when we can prove that profitability here in Denver, that we can expand city by city. And there have been other businesses that have followed a similar model and have been very successful. And I hope to be one of them. Once we're expanding, then we're really making a dent in the universe. And do you see yourself taking Oz into those cities directly? Do you see this ever as a franchise model where you might work with others, right, who own that locally? That's a great question. I think it could go either way. I think if I can develop a playbook that is easily replicable, it could become a franchise. And that's a really interesting idea for me to really think about. It's interesting to think that there's so many different local rules, to your point, on recycling and what they do. There might also be different density and population habits and living, which make it better or not. But the thought that everyone could customize or each city might have its own Oz. And as you started with, right, selling the merchandise from local vendors, which is also part of the allure, I think that would be so powerful. Yes. And a local entrepreneur would have a deeper insight into that than someone from Oz Denver. So I think a franchise model could be really interesting. Well, we certainly are watching very eagerly with what you do with Oz in Denver. And we wish you the best, Kate, and we can't wait to stay in touch. So let's take that plastic out. Thanks so much, Sam. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to our Founder Feature with Kate Furlan. 
I love her commitment to tackling complex problems and promoting greater sustainability. We're so excited to see Oz expand its offerings and open in other markets. You can learn more about her business at ozfrontdoor.com. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. To learn more about Women on the Move and listen to the full library of this podcast, please visit jpmorganchase.com slash W-O-T-M. For JPMorgan Chase's Women on the Move, I'm Sam Saperstein. JPMorgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.